I used to row competitively uh, many, many years ago. I won't uh, embarrass myself by telling you how long ago it is since I was rowing competitively, but um, I was much younger then. And I was fortunate to, at the time I was in school, to become part of a junior crew for Shannon Rowing Club in Ireland. And that crew had a very successful two or three years uh, back-to-back. And when I joined the crew, and I wasn't very good at the time, um, I was privileged to, to, to learn from people who were so good at the sport of rowing. And it's a tricky thing. You've got to find people to assume a position in a boat and to master that role because the whole boat wins or loses by the collective or cumulative performance of people in that boat. Does that make sense? So that the team or the boat is a vehicle for understanding the consequences of team dynamics and, of course, the, the possibility of striving for a goal and winning it. And we won big in that particular club because... For two years, we had a huge goal in mind, which was to win the National Rowing Championships. It seemed quite elusive. It seemed very lofty as a goal, but we succeeded. And five of the crew went on to row for Ireland. Not me, unfortunately. But the reason I'm saying this today is because today's guest is a former Olympic gold medal rowing winner. He won gold as part of a men's eight, a crew of eight, back in the 2000 Sydney Olympics. And Ben Hunt-Davis, who is today's guest, has gone on since then to co-found a leadership development or training company. And it's for this reason that I have him on the show today for you. This is episode 96 of the Training Business Podcast. Hey, and welcome to the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Every week, we bring you exciting news and interviews with training business experts and training business entrepreneurs from around the world. Thanks for tuning into today's episode. Here's your host, Mark Garrett-Hayes. Hi, my name is Mark. I'm the host of the Training Business Podcast, and this is the show for people like you and me, for freelance trainers, for training business owners, for training consultants, whatever you call yourself, people like you and me all around the world. And the goal of this show, the goal of this episode and every episode, it's more or less the same. It's to help you to start to grow and to scale a profitable training business. Sometimes we have episodes where it's just uh, you and I, and we're talking about a specific topic which helps your training business. It could be lead generation, marketing, sales, tech, etc. And occasionally we have some guests on the show. Last week was John Lee Dumas. And this week, it's Ben Hunt-Davis, a former Olympic gold medal winner from the Sydney 2000 Olympics. I used to row competitively, as I said, and that reason inspired me thanks to, in fact, it was Adam, a member of our trace, uh, training business Facebook group, who suggested that we invite Ben to the show. And I'm gl- delighted that Ben accepted. So Ben has a great story to tell all about his brand, which is Will It Make the boat go faster. Will it make the boat goes faster.com. Here's Ben. Ben, hi, welcome to the show. Good afternoon. Uh, thanks very much for inviting me on the show. So you are, I suppose, a co-director and founder, is that right, of Will It Make the Boat Go Faster? Uh, I am indeed, yes. Uh, a company with one of the more ridiculous names out there. Yes, I'm a co-founder. It works. It works. Yeah, so what is the story quite- behind the name? So um, I used to be a sportsman, a rower, 
Uh, I competed at three Olympic Games. And uh, sometime after that, I wrote a book uh, by the name of Will It Make the Boat Go Faster? And then we should thought we should name the business uh, after the same thing. And, and, and the idea was, while I was rowing, we had a very, very clear goal, and that was to win. Uh, we wanted to win at the Sydney Olympics, and we knew that we couldn't control winning. The only because we couldn't control how fast anyone else was going to go. The only thing we could control was how fast we went. So we were pretty ruthless about challenging every single thing we did around the question: Will it make the boat go faster? Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and that's that. That's where the question came from, and it uh, seems to be a pretty good question. It's pretty sticky. People like it, so that's what the business is called. Of course, people ask you about that name. I'm sure. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So you won um, an Olympic gold medal back in 2000. Um, I'm sure that's helped you to raise your profile and, of course, to enter into a conversation with with pros- prospective clients. Of course, it's a great uh, conversation opener when you can say you're a, a past Olympic gold medal winner. Yeah, definitely. Uh, it, it's um, it, It's been really useful for business. And when I initially, so I stopped running straight after the Olympics and contacted i'm not sure how many different training companies looking for a job and the fact that i was able to say i'll just come back from the olympics where i'd won meant that people gave me the time of day they they, they, they talked to me mm. and mm. now people still talk about you know it gives a certain credibility it's 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 been very very useful so you spent i think eight years as a freelance trainer is that right working for other training companies so, uh, so my first uh, role after the Olympics, I worked for a training company for about three and a half years, uh, full time. Mm-hmm. Um, a company called it was called SI Group, changed to Speakers International, became Rogan SI. It's now being consumed by somebody else. And I worked there full time uh, as an employee, as a trainer. Uh, we called ourselves Peak Performance Coaches, and we ran training programs. I did that for three and a half years. I then spent about eight years as a freelancer. Um, running kind of training things for that company and also any, you know, all sorts of other people also doing speeches. And then I set up Will It Make the Boat Go Faster uh, with Tom about uh, eight years ago. Mm-hmm. So the the book came first and then the training company. That's interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So the book, the book came because, uh, well, the, there have been a few things. A number of clients uh, who I'd done some work with said, oh, you know, we'd love to buy copies of your book for the team. And I kept pointing out that I didn't actually have a book. Uh, so that was one of it. The other thing was, as I did um, more speeches as a freelancer, well, so, so when I'd been full-time for Speaks International, I'd been tr- running training programs and I never spoke about the Olympics. I might spend, over the course of a number of months, I might spend up to up to 12 days with a group of people. And they, I, I, I would never tell them about, about the Olympics. I would talk to them about the course and they might have thought from the anecdotes I told I was an enthusiastic rower, but that's not what I wanted to be known for. I wanted to get mm. credibility for being good at what I was doing. Uh, as a freelancer, I ended up doing more and more speeches about kind of the Olympics and what I learned from that. And I started to get pigeonholed with people thinking that's all I could do. So I thought quite a good way of showing what else I could do was actually writing a book uh, with a kind of broad uh, set of topics about actually how to achieve goals and what high performance looks like. Mm. So I really wrote the book as a bit of a kind of calling card to say this is this is all the stuff that I can cover rather than this narrow stream. Um, and, uh, and, and then I got approached by somebody, by Tom, saying he'd read the book, he loved it, and did we want to go into business together? 
so it, it, it worked well. What was that like, finding a business partner? Because I think when we talked initially, you said you weren't really keen on the idea of going into business by yourself. Yeah, so having spent eight years doing my own thing, I it was pretty clear that I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm not very good when I work by myself. I'm much, much better when I've got people around me to support me, encourage me, cajole me, push me, where I can challenge them. I, I'm just much better when I'm working with other people. So I had actually been looking for a business partner for a number of years. Um, I'd had uh, conversations with three other people uh, and I came very close to going to, into business with one person um, uh, before I met Tom. And uh, Tom came to me out of the blue. Um, I hadn't met him before when he said, should we go into business? Um, and actually, it's worked incredibly well. What um, What do you think, where would you think you'd be if you had not gone into business with someone else? And the reason I ask that is because a lot of the people listening to this are typically freelancers. They're on their own. Some of them have business partners. Many or most don't. What would you say would be the, the outcome had you not gone into business with someone else? So for me, I think the outcome would I'd be, inc- I'd be incredibly bored and probably still doing something pretty similar to what I was doing um, beforehand. What, uh, and you know, some people are very good at working by themselves. Some people really enjoy it. And uh, and I did it for a period of time, but I just know for me, I'm better with somebody else. And I have, I I, I really enjoy being at a room or virtually being, you know, mm. working with a group of people. I still really, really enjoy that. But I also enjoy the challenge of trying to run and grow a business. So mm. uh, I, I'm enjoying the, the 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 two bits of the challenge. And I know that some people have been in business, have run businesses, and then actually just want to um, you know, focus more on the training, the development side. I actually enjoy both bits. Okay. Who is the market then for Will It Make the Boat Go Faster? When someone hears your brand, what kind of clients are you trying to attract with that brand? So um, we started off looking for um, entrepreneurial business leaders. So we are uh, for some of our products we'll we're, it's kind of generally organizations from 25 million to up to 250 people um for some of the leadership programs it's any large organization but essentially what we're looking for is we are looking for entre- entrepreneurial business leaders business leaders who have got the bit between their teeth who either some people come to us going, you know, we're doing pretty well, but I just know it can be better and I want to I want to make things better. Or some people are saying we're struggling with this and that and I know we can be better. So we want to work with leaders who know that things can be done differently, can be done better and want to help and support doing that. Mm-hmm. Um, we do run some HR-led programs uh, and for certainly leadership development programs and more often, more often HR-led. But... Uh, for the rest of the stuff is normally driven by a uh, a business leader who has a clear issue to solve, and that makes it much more applicable. And, and the stuff we do is pretty simple and straightforward. So it's all about application. It's about going actually, how do you get people to do things differently? And if they've got a clear business need, it just makes the whole thing much much easier. So you worked for, rather, you've worked with clients such as Rolls Royce, Hiscox, 
and Innocent, which is, of course, the drinks brand owned by Coca-Cola. Very prestigious clients. Hard to win clients like those, or is it? Uh, so uh, some of our clients, so you picked three very well-known names, mm-hmm. um, but we, I could also run off a whole list of clients who not so many people would have heard of. Um, and I guess generally when we're advertising our businesses, we talk about the clients who are better known. Um, but within Rolls-Royce, for example, uh, one of the, uh, there are kind of two key teams we've done work with. Uh, one was an engineering team on a specific engine for a specific plane. And so that was a team of, there are about three, 350, 350 people in the department. And it was a, so it was a pretty focused bit of work. Another bit of work was for an internal finance team. Uh, they started off with about 150 and went up to about 225 people. And so again, a very, very specific part of the business where in both those cases, the leaders really had the bit between their teeth. They were really trying to do something. We haven't done rollouts across 10,000 engineers. Um, so even when we have worked with large, well-known businesses, it's normally been with a distinct population within a department or a team um, who are who are trying to do something specific. And the same mm-hmm. goes with Hiscox. With Hiscox, we've worked across quite a lot of the organization, but we've done it from with kind of distinct business leaders. Okay. Uh, so when you're scoping out a, a program like that, where do you begin? Because as you said, these are prestigious brands. They're three of the biggest brands that uh, are on your client list. How would you convince someone like that that um, your brand can be trusted with their people? Which, of course, is a, a huge question to answer. But uh, that's the part that I find many uh, training business owners often struggle with. They get in the door, but how do they have those conversations which help them to scope out what needs to be done and build a program around that? So um, credibility has been uh, incredibly important throughout and that and so i'm fortunate that the kind of my olympic background helps with a certain amount of credibility people can look at it and go well so you've you know it, it worked over there therefore it might work over here and as we've grown as a business we've been able to with potential clients uh we said well why don't you speak to and we have a number of our clients who are there's one of the guys from Rolls-Royce has been incredible at being willing to speak to our clients. I'm not sure quite how many people we've pushed his way and he's <laughs> given them uh, references, recommendations. And we have a handful of people who have been really, really generous with their time in telling other people what we have done to them and the benefits. Um, so, of course, that's the power of referral. But but coming, say, to clients who don't know of you, how would you market the brand typically? Because I'm conscious that you have... Um, white papers on your website. You have a book going for you. How else do you attract people to the brand? And so we, we do a few things. So uh, <clears throat> I'm still asked to do speeches at conferences and mm-hmm. that I've been doing that for a long time and I have a certain, um, a certain reputation in the market. So people come to us for that and then we're able to tell them more about the business. Mm-hmm. We are very active on uh, LinkedIn um, that's kind of the main okay. platform we use. Um, we uh, have also run a number of email campaigns where we, from you know, reputable organizations, we buy a list of email addresses. Ah. And, we, uh, and we do 
um, you know, blanket emails out. And uh, I was actually spoke at an event uh, on Friday, uh, and somebody senior was on the call saying, okay, well, um, uh, it was just before the event kicked off, I actually said, where did, you know, how did, how did we come across you? And somebody else on the call piped up and said, because I got an email in my inbox the day we were starting to talk about this, this conference, this event. And so a, some of our work, uh, that's, there are, there are a few situations where someone's got one email from us and they bought from us, but it starts the conversation. So uh, we've done uh, email campaigns. We have run, over the last few weeks, we have run a series of webinars, uh, getting up to 450, 500 people signing up for webinars. Mm-hmm. Um, previous to lockdown, we ran breakfast meetings um, and other events. Uh, we have uh, sent my book to all sorts of different people. Um, so there are a number of different marketing approaches that we've taken or that we do take uh, going forward to make sure that enough people are hearing about us. And we know that it's rare that somebody will hear about us and immediately buy something. It's going to take time. So we need mm. multiple points of contact. So coming back to LinkedIn for a moment, because that's intriguing. I know many people post stuff daily or weekly on on LinkedIn and quite a few people complain to me uh, in my training business Facebook group that LinkedIn is not something that, um, yeah, people don't see the results they used to see. What what makes it work for you? I'm just curious. Um, so posting stuff that's, that's, that we think is relevant to people um, is, is really important. Uh, whether we, we've been, in the last year, we've been far more active on LinkedIn uh, than we were, say, three years ago. So whether... I, I'm not sure whether we're getting the same results, better results, to be honest. We, we've got the, the, the number of people following us is continuing to rise. Mm. And the stuff that we post, we get pretty good engagement on. We've actually got a fairly new marketing team in now who, who seem to be doing a very good job. All the kind of results for the last three or four months look to be very good. Um, and so we're, we're quite targeted and we're quite focused and we try to make sure that stuff is very specific um, to the people we want to talk to. Okay. So coming back to the business itself for a moment, um, Tom and you, how many other people in the organization? So currently uh, 10 other people. Okay. Uh, sorry. And- sorry. Uh, full-time, eight other people, and then we've got some associates. So you grew from yourself and Tom. What was hiring people like? And the reason I ask that question is that um, some of the people I'm in contact with in the Facebook forum have messaged me and asked me about the process of hiring people because, of course, that's a scary thing. You, you have a brand and you're conscious that these people now will represent your brand, perhaps not as well or as um, seriously as you would take the brand yourself. What was that like, that that process of kind of letting go and, and entrusting your brand to people? Were there any hiring mistakes over the years? And and what did you learn from those, if any? Uh, unfortunately, we made quite a few hiring mistakes. Mm. Um, we, um, so we were, I should say we, uh, in March, March, February, we were, we had 14 on the team. Um, and we have over the years we've we've made a number of hiring mistakes. Uh, we've had one person who uh, one one person who hasn't made it past three months probation, um, 
and when we've got it wrong, we, well, you know, I, I, we're a learning business, and I'm desperate to try and make sure that we can get people to learn and develop and and improve. Mm. And sometimes that doesn't work, uh, and sometimes we keep trying for for too long. Um, but we continue to tighten up how we recruit people what we want them to do in the recruitment process is the the kind of steps we put them through the situations we try and get them to deal with because i think performance is a good indicator of performance and actually getting people to perform in a certain way in a in an interview we have found um pretty good um but we need to continue to get better at hiring hiring the right people um, so what's what's your employ um sorry what's your hiring process like what what makes it work so um if i'm talking about the internal people we mm-hmm. normally interview people uh two or three times and we get them to whether they're going to be in a, in a sales role in a marketing role uh in a client services role we give them a task that we want them to complete we'll send it to them in advance let them prepare and then we will role play uh in the interview a task um, to see how they think, how they perform under pressure, um, and you know, the, the, the view is to help them succeed. But we also want to make sure we are we're kind of pushing and challenging and seeing that people have got the right sort of approach to what they're doing. For facilitators, um, it is slightly different. For facilitators, we'll have a few conversations. We will get them to um, run a workshop. Uh, for the team. So, I mean, again, it's, it's still on performance. We will then, uh, in order to get them delivering our stuff, they will go and observe a, a number of different sessions uh, and they will. we will then start uh, giving them the odd bits to co-facilitate until mm. we're happy that they can actually go off on their own and facilitate the whole thing. How long does that process typically take? It it. it it really depends on what they are going to be facilitating. Mm. And we are we're looking for people who are um, experienced, excellent facilitators. So we haven't tried to start with people new into the, into the business. We have always gone for people who, from personal recommendations, who already, I think, are excellent facilitators. And the question is, can they align to our brand? Can they do things the way that we want things done? Um, and and depending on what we want them to deliver, might will determine how quickly we we get them in and fully up to speed. So there's a range of programs on the topic of what your people then deliver when they are ready to perform in front of clients. Yeah. You have a, you have a signature crazy goal program. I yeah. love that. Uh, a leadership performance program, team performance, leader led training, and executive coaching. So kind of five offers or maybe six with along with um events and conferences and things um what was it like putting those together because i know that in my experience i find that less is more there was a time when i'd had um i think at one point i had 14 different uh, products and i found that by stripping them right back and focusing on a core bunch of offerings it was much clearer and i think also it eliminates this tyranny of choice when when clients have too many options, they tend to be confused as to what to select. How did you narrow down to those five things and, and how did you build them? Let's, let's so, just take the first one first, how you chose those five programs first, and then we'll talk about how you actually put them together. So we started off with um, 
I mean, I was doing speeches, so the conf- conference bit was a was was something that was kind of already there. Um, Tom was more used to doing kind of running consulting type sessions with senior groups. So after the the conference bit, I'd say I was already doing the next bit was the um, crazy gold program because we believe that one of the key things you need is actually clarity of direction. Uh, it's pretty hard to make any decisions unless you know what direction you're trying to go in. It's pretty hard to perform better unless you know which direction you're trying to perform better in. So it starts with um, setting the direction. And one of the things we talked about while rowing was this crazy goal of trying to win. So we developed a crazy goal program. And Tom, Tom and I, Tom did most of the development on that with kind of me supporting him. Uh, and that was our... Uh, oh, so so we had, we developed that, and we also developed a performance program. You know, how do you get people to perform more effectively? The crazy goal program is the one that took off uh, the best, and that is actually a very consultative, a uh, facilitative-led session. So, the performance program is more akin to training, where we're saying, here is some stuff that we need to teach you. We're going to help you practice and apply it, but here's some stuff we need to teach you. Mm-hmm. Whereas the Crazy Goal program is far more uh, getting the group to discuss, debate, decide, unite around something. So the skills for running the two programs are very different. Um, and frankly, I am not so good at, I'm, I'm not, as good a facilitator as Tom, for example. Tom is absolutely outstanding at the crazy goal programs. But when it comes to a performance program, which is more at the training end of the scale, Tom's not so good at it. He's not so interested, whereas I think I'm much better at that, but I'm less good at the purely facilitative crazy goal program. So so we kind of started with those two. We then started to look at um, uh, leadership. um, And the leader-led came from various different large organizations saying saying how do we do this with large numbers of people cost effectively so leader led was born and also the kind of the, all the virtual stuff we're doing now as well um mm-hmm. so uh, and then the teams program came along so, so it's really we're looking at crazy girls we're looking at kind of performance that can relate to lots of different situations leadership and teams and how we do those will vary whether we are running it, whether we're training other people to run it, whether we're selling licenses to run it. But the four key areas we cover are actually pretty limited and clear. And we keep coming up with different ideas of things we should be doing. And we keep reminding ourselves that actually to do a good job, we think we need to be focused. Mm. Tricky question. And this is something that comes up um, in my forum perennially. And it's this question. How do you decide how to price these things? I won't ask you to to price them or name or give us the prices of those programs. But how do you clarify this is what the market will pay? This is the thing we will charge for our programs? Um, Through, I guess, through time and experience, seeing what we through, through experience, Tom and I started by uh, picking a day rate of what we thought we were worth. And that has, and I guess to start with, we were we knew what we'd charged ourselves or other people had charged us out before. Um, and we started a little bit below that because you're always kind of a bit, well, we were certainly a bit more cautious. Yeah. Um, and as diaries have filled up, we've been able to say, actually, um, if we're kind of just looking at supply and demand, we can charge more for this. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we have been 
uh, actually one of our salespeople who left us last week to um, kind of, she's she's been with us three and a half years and she wanted to go and do something different. Uh, she was actually fantastic at ensuring that we didn't budge on price. Her view was always, let's give, if, if people have got a challenge with the price, let's give more value. Let's work out what else we can do to support them, but we will not budge on price. Exactly. It's a slippery slope because, you know, once you go down that path of, of negotiating, you're actually cutting yourself out and yes. it's a slippery slope. And then people come back to you the next time and expect another discount and it never ends, does it really? You, you're kind of training people in terms of how to buy from you. And if you're cutting things, if you're not taking a price seriously, they won't either. If they're, you're going to negotiate on prices, that's what they'll do next time and every time. And, and Helena has been fantastic. While she was part of the business, she was fantastic at being very, very clear that we do not negotiate on price. Mm. Um, we will see what we can do to give more value, to uh, support them even further. Uh, but price, we don't negotiate. So let's just say I have a challenge about your pricing. And I say to you, okay, I'm not sure about this. What kind of optional extras would you add on to provide more value? Um, so, uh, so I think one of the key areas is what people learn in a meeting room, classroom, virtual classroom, whatever you want to call it. Um, what they learn is one thing, how they implement it is different. So we will look to support people more and more and more on holding people to account and supporting them with the implementation. So, you know, whether it be doing more to, um, uh, support people two, three, four months down the line to check in, to push, to cajole, to encourage, to support. Um, that's one thing that we will do more of all. For me, so on various different projects, uh, I get called in to you know, maybe do a 90-second to three-minute video uh, to send out, to support, to kind of remind, to... I mean, you know, me putting a video together is a pretty easy thing to do. Um, and the perception is it adds value. So, yeah, it's personal. Yeah, yeah. And you can do it quite quickly from your phone. And that's something I encourage people to do, which is to think of small ways. It could be a checklist. It could be some kind of guide. It could be something like your white papers on your website. It could be a range of things which need not necessarily cost substantial money. But the perception, if they're delivered packaged nicely, is huge. And I, something else I've found quite a lot of success with is, is that personalization and sometimes providing people with a kind of a timeline or roadmap just for themselves or their business unit. And the fact that I've taken the trouble to do this, it, it's, 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 it's amazing how people actually value these things. Because I I think instinctively, many of us think, well, that's not difficult. It, it didn't cost me much time or money to do this, but that's not the point. The point is the perception. And if someone feels you've personalized something that um, is customized to them, it's something which addresses a specific need or problem on their side, and it's something that gives them insight they have perhaps not encountered before. Uh, the, the perception of that is huge. And I think that's something many of us underestimate. You know, we undervalue what we know, what we can do. And we lose sight of what people value when it comes to giving them things. We, we think in terms of products and services and a price tag, time equals dollars or pounds. Not necessarily. We can actually add on bonuses. And I think this is something that um, I see a lot of online is that when it comes to you know price negotiation, 
it's the perception of value that's the point not not the price it's it's the value if the value is exponentially bigger than the price then price becomes less of a consideration uh, absolutely absolutely and there are all sorts of things that we can do to increase value um, and and that's what we're always looking to do because uh, I, I mean you know firstly we want our stuff to work um, we have a few kind of parts to our goal and the the kind of primary bit is is to make a difference. We want to do stuff that actually makes a difference to organizations, to the teams, to the individuals doing stuff. So therefore, if we can if we can be better at you know, if, if we add more value, then it'll make mm. more of a difference. So um, finding ways to do that and 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 people very often talk about the kind of personalization stuff that you've mentioned about understanding them, knowing them as people, knowing them as a business. Taking time to do that adds value and makes a difference. So it's we, we spend a fair bit of time doing it. What is your crazy goal for the brand, for the company, for will it make the go, boat go faster in the next three to five years? So in October, November last year, we set a, um, a new crazy goal of what we wanted to do. Um, and the with kind of an overlying kind of statement of intent and then some kind of clear measures underneath it, uh, kind of the overlying thing is we want to be world-class at helping people achieve crazy goals. So mm. if an organization comes to us and we help them set a crazy goal, we want to be, we want to help them achieve it. We don't just want to help them set it. We want to help them achieve it, and we want to be known for being outstanding at it. And then the measures we've got underneath that, we talk about making a difference. We've got various different measures around actually how much we're, how much of a difference we're making we have measures around uh the next bit which is kind of smashing our targets so there are kind of financial bits in there and mm. then the third bit we talk about enjoying our lives and we've got various measures around kind of team engagement surveys uh retention and various other different things so we've got a whole load of measures around those things and we uh run our business kind of based on those measures in march when covid struck we have um, kind of readdress because as part of the crazy goal we were planning on doubling in the next three years um, and for the last three months we have changed our we've uh, the, the, the crazy goals have just kind of changed the the, the the kind of certainly the number stuff the making a difference hasn't changed enjoying our lives hasn't changed but the financial bits have changed uh, and we set a three-month plan uh, to take us to the end of June we've now got another three-month plan to take us to the end of September and we will, we still want to be world-class at achieving, helping people achieve crazy goals, but mm. the financial steps and increment, um, financial steps we want to take are, are just different, so we keep readdressing them. Okay, so finally, um, what business tips would you give listeners starting and growing their training business where they are right now? Um, Tricky question, I know, because uh, it depends on where people are listening to this. But um, let's say someone is, yeah, on their own. They're thinking of, at some point, bringing in someone else to their team, perhaps another consultant. They're not quite at the beginning. They're not quite newbies. Um, quite a few people who listen to the show are in the corporate world still thinking of jumping into their own training business. But let's talk about the kinds of people who are, let's say, on the cusp of the next step. What would you say to them in terms of sticking the course mindset and growing so in terms of sticking the course i mean i, th I think clarity about what you're trying to do what you want to be you know where do you want to be in 
you know, th- I'd normally say three or five years at the moment, mm. frankly, being far more short term because we don't really know what's around the corner. That's true. Where you want to be in the next six, nine, 12 months is probably more realistic at the moment. Uh, so having an idea of what of what good looks like for you and where, where you want to be, I think is really important. Um, I think that we always know there will be um, good months and not so good months. Um, we always know that, um, so, you know, good financial and also good in terms of the amount of hours we're putting in, the time we're with our family, the time we're not with our family. So I think kind of making sure you've got balance over a period of months, because I, I've certainly found that I have, you know, a month that is totally out of kilter, either on time or income or whatever else or lack of it. Um, so don't measure it on a month at a time. Measure it on, you know, are you maintaining mm. the balance you want, going in the right direction over three months, um, and just understanding that when things are things are bad, so long as you keep learning, so long as you keep changing, so long as you keep experimenting, you'll find a different way of doing things, and you know things will continue to get better. Um, I think uh, understanding what you offer very clearly. Is important so um, there are quite a lot of us in the training world who do in the kind of organizational personal development team development world who do similar things and understanding why people should buy from you rather than anybody else I think is very important and there will be uh, you know people ask about unique selling points I'm not sure there's very much unique but what are the things that, that make us uh, different from uh, the other people we're we're up against. Why should an organization buy us rather than other people? And I think there are a number of different factors in that. I think there's, you know, if we have a certain product that's slightly different, a certain language that's slightly different, a certain energy that's slightly different, um, I think uh, um, if we address a a different topic to, to that we think other people address, I think just being, there are lots of different ways in which we can make ourselves it's probably not going to be unique but slightly different to others i think we need to we need to be very clear about what those different what those differences are and how we make sure that potential clients think that they are important and significant yeah great advice ben thank you very much for your time today and thanks for being our guest on the show thank you very much for inviting me on mark thank you well i really enjoyed that Thanks to Ben from WillItMakeTheBoatGoFaster.com for being our guest today on the show. And of course, thanks to you, my listeners, for tuning in again to the Training Business Podcast episode 96 today. And a big thanks to Adam, who is a member of our Training Business Facebook group, for suggesting Ben as a guest. I'm delighted you did. And if you are not yet a member of our Facebook group, I'd love to invite you to apply It's a free private community for trainers, people out there in the training business world. And the goal of that particular group is to help you to understand the principles behind marketing your business and developing programs and all the kinds of things which will help you to generate a profitable training business. The content varies, of course. It's very much user-generated or directed by the members of the training business community. So if you'd like to join, you can go into Facebook and find the link by typing in training business and you'll see that group and you can click on apply 
to join. If you've got some great episodes in mind or ideas for episodes and content, I would love to hear those from you. So please email me. That's mark at trainingbusiness.com. I reply personally to all emails and read them, of course, before I reply to them, which kind of makes sense. There is a fresh episode next Thursday of the Training Business Podcast. So thanks for your time today. But until then, when I look forward to your company next week, please look after yourself and your loved ones. Keep safe and keep on training. Bye for now. once more for listening to this episode of the trainingbusiness.com podcast. Go to trainingbusiness.com and subscribe right now to be notified of great competitions, upcoming VIP episodes, and amazing special offers to help you succeed in your training business. See you next time.